Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip. This episode of Quick to Listen is brought to you in part by Kingdom at Work. Kingdom at Work is a movement that seeks to inspire, equip, and ignite leaders to advance God's kingdom through their influence in the marketplace. To attend one of their workshops or learn more, visit kingdomatwork.com. It's Wednesday, November 28th, and this is Quick to Listen, where we set aside hashtags and hot takes to discuss a major cultural event. On today's show, Mary Ho joins us to discuss a situation in which a 26-year-old missionary was recently killed by those he intended to convert to Christianity. I'm Morgan Lee, Associate Digital Media Producer here at Christianity Today, and I'm here with Mark Alley, our Editor-in-Chief. Hey, Morgan. What's up, Mark? Welcome back from France. I'm glad that you remember where I went. Because <laughs> you just told me this morning. It's true. It's true. I am back from France. It has been an amazing vacation, and I was excited because I had to return to a blizzard. The snow looks blizzard, beautiful. And it's going to be 11 degrees tonight, so it's... I'm ready to go. Uh, My whole thing is, like, if it's going to be cold, it should snow. That's how yeah, I feel. Well, you got your wish. I got my wish. All right. So tell us more about Mary Ho, our guest today. Dr. Mary Ho is the international executive leader of all nations. Dr. Ho served for four years in World Vision Taiwan and World Vision Hong Kong. She received her doctoral degree in strategic leadership from Regent University, Virginia in 2017. And in her current role, Dr. Ho provides leadership and direction for all nation workers spread out over 40 countries. So welcome, Mary. Glad you could join us. Uh, thank you so much, Mark and Morgan. It is good to be with you today. Yeah, it's really good to be with you, too, and I'm excited to get into our discussion. It's really a perfect topic for this type of show because there's so many different things that we just kind of want to explore and unpack for people. So I'm going to get into the details of the situation right now. A little over a week ago, John Allen Cho, a 26-year-old missionary, was killed by members of an isolated tribe on North Sentinel Island, a remote island off the coast of India. According to news reports based on Chow's journal entries, the Oral Roberts University graduate shouted, My name is John, and I love you, and Jesus loves you, to Sentinelese tribesmen armed with bows and arrows. He fled to a fishing boat when they shot at him during his initial visit, with one arrow piercing his Bible. The young missionary did not survive a follow-up trip on November 17th. Chow was working with all nations whose stated mission is to bring disciples and train leaders to ignite church planting movements among the neglected peoples of the earth. This incident calls to mind the death of Jim Elliott, who was famously killed at age 28 while attempting to evangelize an isolated group in Ecuador. And I will just note that we have a piece on our website right now that you can read that kind of juxtaposes the two situations. So if you are listening to this podcast, you may want to read this other article and I can put a link to it in the show notes. Today on Quick to Listen, we want to learn more about John Chow, the Sentinelese, and other quote-unquote neglected people, and especially the challenges and perils of bringing the gospel to isolated people groups. All right, Mark, time for our gut check. And I feel like when we hear a story like this, it's kind of hard not to have a gut check to it. 
Yeah, although I was surprised at the uh, the depth of my sadness upon hearing it. I mean, you know, as a journalist, you hear so much bad news and Christians being persecuted and, uh, frankly, killed, sometimes slaughtered in large groups, and one does become a little uh, hardened to it. But in this case, I was I, I was deeply affected by it. Perhaps it was because it was a single person, meaning a single individual, and he was young. Uh, and then it, it did bring to mind the Jim Elliott situation as well. So there was a lot of, there was a little history, some emotion going on. Yeah, so I was curious, and I'm glad we were able to have Dr. Ho on because I was curious about some, who he was exactly, what All Nations does, just a host of questions, which we'll get into in a bit, yeah. My initial reaction was like, wait, there are still communities of people that are quote unquote unreached or untouched or have little to no contact with what is the correct term? Outside word, broader world, broader not, world, yeah, broader right. world. Mm-hmm. That that was actually the most shocking to me thing about this piece that there was a community that we still don't really know that much about. I guess I don't. It hasn't necessarily seemed possible to me for people to still exist like that. And and so that really surprised me. Yeah, I just, I learned of this case, there the situation this morning when we were talking about it. And I don't know, I, I just feel like there's so much that we don't know in this story and not like we don't know the actual like facts of this case. But as I'm sure we'll talk about it, when I was just doing some research about North Sentinel Island, it seems like there's been anthropologists and other researchers who have tried to reach out many times over the course of the last decades and there's there's just so much that they don't know about this community and who they are and in a time when we kind of like just take for granted being able to know so much information about this type of stuff and why things happen and what this meant um, this was really an interesting thing to me because of the lack of information that we had there well mark i'm going to throw the question first question to you actually okay well, first of all, Dr. Ho, we want to uh, say that we grieve with you and with your organization. It's it's never easy when uh, a missionary is killed for the gospel. So how is your organization and how is John's family doing immediately? Thank you so much. Um, obviously, here in All Nations, we have just been grieving uh, for the last week. It's been very, very hard because uh, we we know John Chow, we love him. He's very, very dear to us. But all over the world, uh, we've been having prayer meetings and prayer vigils to to pray for his family, uh, to pray that his story, his legacy will be honored, to pray for his friends and to pray for the North Sentinelese people that he loves so much. So We've been mourning, but uh, we've been also really praying uh, a lot. Would you be able to tell us more about these quote-unquote neglected people that are kind of the focus of your ministry? Maybe you can tell us why you use this word neglected. <laughs> yes. Um, the the term uh, neglected was actually chosen by our founder, our nation's founder, Floyd McClung. It simply means people's overlooked or neglected that uh, still have not heard of Jesus Christ. So, for example, we have worked in ghettos or among uh, prostitutes, gangsters, uh, refugees, Muslim refugees. It's simply any pocket of people that uh, still have not heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
These are gr- people groups that tend to be overlooked by most other mission organizations or? I cannot speak for other uh, mission organizations, but we do uh, have a passion to take the gospel to peoples and people groups and places uh, where no one else is sharing. So I see. Neglected in yeah. that sense. Okay. Yes, neglect in that sense. So it could be in an urban city, you know, in a pocket of urban city and no one is sharing Jesus. We will con- uh, consider those people also neglected. Our Nations was founded in 1993. Floyd McClung is our founder. He was one of the international leaders of YWAM. And he's written many, many books, uh, including The Father Heart of God. And he established Our Nations because he wanted to take discipleship one step further and uh, to make sure that there are local churches that are led by local leaders and multiplied by the local leaders. So that's something that you guys are really passionate about is raising up indigenous leadership and ministers in those communities? Oh, yes, absolutely. We really believe that foreign missionaries should be in the background. We should be training up the local leaders who plant their own churches, multiply their own churches, make their own disciples, who make disciples, plant churches that plant churches. So what what do we know about the Sentinelese? I mean, from the bare facts of the story, we we can tell that they are not friendly to outsiders, that they can actually be violent toward them. Is It's just like you say, uh, we actually don't know much. And of course, there are some anthropological accounts uh, that we can access, uh, but a lot of that actually needs some level of validation and uh, further research. There's been uh, some writings on uh, their previous contact with um, outside groups throughout history, and that may be a factor. But again, uh, we are trying to check all the facts. You know, without really talking to them, uh, we can't really for sure know what is the main motivation, right? Because I think we are all guessing, but we need to check our facts. Okay. How would a group like the people on North Sentinel Island become not only on your radar, but become a group that you guys would say, like, these are these are people that we really want to reach? Well, in this case, um, our nation's missionary, John Chow, he first contacted us about two years ago. And he's a very interesting young man, very focused. Since he was about 18 years old, I believe, he took a mission trip. And on that mission trip, he really felt a call to be a missionary. And around that time, he started researching on the different people groups, and um, he came across the North Sentinelese people. He really felt that this was his life call, that his life call was to take the love and the goodness of Jesus Christ to the North Sentinelese. Since then, every single decision he has made has been to thoroughly prepare himself for this life call and to prepare him to love and care for the people well. As you pointed out earlier, our nation's missionary, John Chow, he graduated from Oral Roberts University. 
He majored in sports medicine, in health, in exercise science. Uh, later, he got trained as a wilderness EMT, worked at a national park, got trained in linguistics by SIL,、uh, which is probably just about the best place to get trained in linguistics. He became acquainted with、uh, all the writings on cultural anthropology. So this young man, he he was intent on fully equipping himself, and、um, I think he knew what his life purpose was about. So John Chow came to All Nations because he wanted to be trained by us, and he wanted to be sent out by All Nations. He also knew that、uh, we had people who were experts in. Cultural anthropology, in missiology, in linguistics, and so he wanted to have access to some of that expertise. So he came to our nations about two years ago and started a a conversation. And we could tell this is a young man who is thorough and meticulous in his preparation. Well, as I said,、um, he started getting prepared. Since he was about eighteen, so even before he contacted all nations, he had already get gotten himself trained in things like health and in the medical field. All nations really reinforced his training. So we have experts in linguistics, and we train our workers in how to share the love of Jesus Christ in a way that honors the local culture in a. A、culturally relevant way,、uh, we train people how to make disciples, how to start house churches, how to raise up the local leaders. Is is there like a set program or curriculum that everyone who works with you guys has to go through?、Uh, yes, we do ask that everyone gets trained, and、um, and that is non negotiable. So I, I'm curious a little bit when when I was reading some of these. Reports about folks working with "quote unquote" unreached people. They noted that there's been times where those who would want to come into contact with these unreached people actually end up transmitting all these diseases that decimate these communities. And I mean, I I know sometimes that doesn't even happen just because of missionaries themselves, but that has happened to thousands of indigenous people that lived in the United States originally, for instance. So I'm I'm just wondering about like how an organization like yours responds to concerns like that, especially with the welfare of these particular unreached people being at stake potentially. It is because of that、uh, John Chow made sure that he was trained in the medical field. You know, getting his degree in health and sports medicine, being trained in EMT, so he has a background in medicine. Before he went to the islands, he attempted to get 13 types of immunization. And in the last few days、uh, before he left for the island, he actually quarantined himself for for many many days as a preventative step. Of course, throughout history, we know of local populations that got wiped out because of contact with、uh, the Western world. But we are also talking about a different time here, 
we're talking about uh, a time right now where there's modern medicine, where there's antibiotics, and uh, none of us really know the exact health condition of the North Sentinelese. And we do not know what kind of health issues or state of health they're in. And perhaps there are some modern medicine that actually would be helpful for them. The other thing that I thought was interesting about this particular story is that John decided that he was going to go alone. Is that normal for folks from all nations to get sent out by themselves? We encourage all our missionaries to go two by two at the very least. And there were several others who were willing to go with John Chow. And he, I think, at the very end, personally decided to go alone. He knew he was going into a risky situation, and he was always thinking of other people's safety first. This is kind of very typical of uh, our nation's missionary, John Chow, because uh, when I finally met him, I actually was very taken aback how considerate he was, uh, very uh, very sensitive, uh, very caring. And I would say this is typical of John Chow, that he's always watching out for others and watching out for others' safety. Hey, this is Morgan from Quick to Listen. Today's episode is sponsored in part by the Filament Bible. And today I'm with Keith Williams of Tyndale House Publishers. Keith is one of the visionaries behind the Filament Bible, an all-new Bible print and digital reading experience. So when people think about books, books are either a physical copy, they're in print, or there are e-books. But this is kind of a hybrid of the two. What does this project suggest to you about the next wave of where we might be headed when it comes to reading? What we're trying to do in this project is to sort of revitalize the print aspect of engaging with the Bible. We've had a lot of reactions to this from people saying, boy, I just, you know, I've given up print for my reading. And what I want to say to those people is, I really wish you'd give it a try again, at least for the Bible. There's a lot of research and there feels like there is some value in print in particular. You get better retention of information, you pay closer attention, you have better comprehension when you're reading print versus you know, on a screen, whether that be a Kindle or in other ways. And I think what this project does is affirms that while also affirming the value of digital technology in engaging with the Bible. You can learn more about the Filament Bible at filamentbible.com. This episode is brought to you by Church Salary. Coming up with a reasonable salary range for church staff has never been easy. There are so many details to consider before setting compensation for church staff, and you're probably asking yourself questions like, are we paying too little or too much? What benefits do we offer employees? What's a reasonable housing allowance? Church Salary believes that offering competitive and fair compensation helps keep people in ministry. Using the expansive, church-specific compensation database and powerful salary calculator tool, you can also make better compensation decisions so your staff can focus on their ministries. Start with Church Salary's annual membership today to run unlimited customized reports and get access to our member-only content. Ready to start making better compensation decisions? 
Get started at churchsalary.com. We also had noted that on a previous incident, John was attacked. And I'm wondering, what kind of details can you give us about this particular first exchange that he had with the group? Well, here in all nations, we probably know uh, as much as a lot of you know. He wrote some handwritten journals in his last few days. And according to the handwritten journals, a arrow shot at him and his Bible actually protected him. So regarding the accounts of the last few days, we know mostly through his handwritten journals. And did he take a boat? I, I think this is North Sentinel Island is also close to Thailand, if I'm not mistaken. And so he probably had to take his his own boat by himself out there. Well, again, uh, we just know through mainly his journals that um, he did have a little boat and that he took some gifts with him. Uh, he took his Bible with him. He tried to introduce himself to them uh, by telling them his name. Of course, he did not know their language yet. So he tried to introduce himself. And so we know as much as his uh, journals reveal. The question I had when I read the news account was that uh, his body is, is still on the island. And this is a group that does not communicate with the outside world. So how did, how did, we, hear, how did we know he died? Well, I personally uh, found out uh, because my colleague called me. According to um, some accounts, some locals, fishermen saw the North Sentinelese drag his body and bury it. And that is, again, uh, according to reports, you know, reports that we hear second and third hand. And so we are still gathering information. Okay. So it sounds like John was particularly well prepared uh, for this. I mean, he doesn't sound like a lot of uh, enthusiastic missionaries of previous eras who just step into a people group without knowing anything, you know, not knowing anything about cultural sensitivities and medicine. Uh, but I mean, you're, you're well aware as a, as a head of a mission organization that there are those enthusiastic missionaries who sometimes will take unnecessary risks, and yet... And I think a missionary organization like yours would probably discourage people from doing that. On the other hand, to be a missionary is to be at risk. So how, did, how does all nations play with that tension when it comes to encouraging, training people to go out into the field? At what point do you caution them to not take unnecessary risks, but also encourage them to trust in God for the risks they do take? We evaluate every single case on a case-by-case basis. There is just no way that we can have a blanket uh, screening process. So we do look at each person. We look at their character. In the case of John Chow, he had a very uh, steady, calm personality as well. He was also very physically fit. Uh, So also just physically, he was very well prepared, you know, including working at national parks, just in in every way. So we do look at each person on a case-by-case basis, their character, their emotions, their cultural preparation. We look at a lot of different factors and we evaluate 
And in some cases, we've had to turn people down. In other cases, we've had to recommend that perhaps they go to an alternative destination. I did notice in uh, the your assistant sent along some of his journals, and they were not they were not easy to read in his handwriting. But the parts I did read, I did notice that even when he was in quarantine, he took the trouble to exercise daily with push-ups, et cetera. So, yeah, he was obviously... That, that could... sounds like John Chow. That <laughs> sounds actually like him, you know, just always diligent. He doesn't give up. He doesn't get lazy. Absolutely, that sounds just like him. That actually put a smile on our heart when we read that. Mary, I found it really interesting that you said that there are times where you will tell individual people no. And the reason I thought it was interesting is because we've seen in some instances in the past when South Korean missionaries have traveled, I believe it was in Afghanistan, correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, a couple of years ago that a number of them were taken hostage there. I know that there's been some kind of travel bans that have been implemented since then, but it sounds like you don't necessarily put a ban on a place so much as maybe a ban on a person, depending on how prepared they are. Well, as I said, we definitely look at every situation on a case-by-case basis here in our nations. And we evaluate many factors, uh, not only just how prepared they are. We also evaluate their emotional and mental stamina for where they want to go. We also evaluate their personality So, for example, if someone is an extreme extrovert, I would suspect it would be harder for them to work in a, you know, more isolated situation. Uh, We also evaluate whether they have spouses and children and how does the whole family feel about their calling. So there are many, many uh, factors to consider and to make sure they all align. I'm curious. Too as as well, Mary. Would you say that this story and everything that happened with John has advanced the cause of reaching unreached people, or if it's set it back in your mind? Morgan, you ask very good questions. That's why she's on this show. (laughs) Mark, you got the best. Um, I know that. That's good. I believe we need to wait a little while and evaluate. Um, how much it's advanced and uh, how much it's harmed. But I know the character of God and I know history. And I know that over time, John's life uh, will only reap a harvest. And um, I know that it will inspire each one of us to pursue our God-given purpose, whether it is to be a professor that raises up the next generation, whether it's to be a doctor that saves lives. But I know that uh, our nation's missionary John Chow's story would inspire each one of us to pursue our God-given purpose, uh, to live our lives for others and not for ourselves. So you wouldn't say that you have concerns that some people who might be you know, who might have thought about going into groups that they don't know as much about might look at that and worry about losing their own lives. I I only say that because I'm sure there are many missionaries who actually, you know, want to go places where they're not necessarily concerned about 
whether or not they will die. Clearly, there's always a sense of risk that's involved when you're going to be trying to evangelize someone to something. But it does seem like there are circumstances where that type of threat is even greater than in others. Here in our nations, we would encourage anyone who is thinking about missions to really be thoroughly prepared. And I think of the mission's call a little bit like uh, the call of a fireman. A fireman or a policeman, they willingly choose a vocation to serve others and to save others. And they know that their vocation may put them in harm's way, that it may put them at risk, and yet they choose it. But along with that, they rigorously prepare and they train and uh, they train hard to make sure they make cautious and prudent decisions. And so the missionary call is somewhat like that. It requires a lot of preparation, a lot of caution, a lot of uh, character, and yet it is a vocation that puts us at risk for the sake of saving others and living our lives for others. You mentioned at the beginning of the show that the mission of your organization is specifically to work with neglected people. And I'm sure that there are some of these communities that you currently have missionaries working in there, have stories of where God is working that our listeners may not be super familiar with. Would you mind telling us where you're, you're seeing God at work, working around the world right now? Uh, yes, uh, I will be happy to do that. What makes my heart especially pleased is when I see the local church planners, the local leaders share Jesus among their own people. And in a way, foreign missionaries have already worked themselves out of a job. So in a country in Africa, uh, we have a local church planner who, after taking our training, decided to go and share Jesus and make disciples in the urban city. And he went into the ghettos, started sharing with um, the slum dwellers, those who were prostitutes with gangs. And right now, um, we have about at least hundreds of house churches that are locally led by the local people. And we see lives transformed. Uh, so, for example, those who used to be prostitutes, now they love Jesus and they're planting churches. We have one guy who was from the ghetto and now he is sharing Jesus with some refugees. And so uh, those things uh, just really make my heart happy and make me feel like what we're doing in our nations is all worth it. How would you ask our listeners to pray for you guys? Well, here in our nations, we exist to make disciples and to raise leaders and to raise up the local leaders to plant and multiply churches and to start disciple-making movements. We are driven to be part of finishing the Great Commission. And so you can pray that uh, we have workers for the harvest. I often think of Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2, that uh, we train people to make disciples who make disciples. But also in 2 Timothy 2.2, it talks about workers who are like the hardworking farmer, who are like the soldiers, uh, who are courageous, 
and who are like the athletes who train hard and compete according to the rules. So that has been my prayer for all nations that we have godly young men and women that trains and compete according to the rules. Well, thank you so much for sharing this with us, Mary. For our listeners that have feedback about this show, you can give us the feedback on Twitter. We're at CT Podcasts, or you can send us an email at podcasts at christianitytoday.com. As a reminder to everyone, this podcast is made possible by everyone who subscribes to Christianity Today magazine. And when I returned to my office today, after being out for the past couple of weeks, I saw that our December issue had come in and Advent is actually a big focus of this particular issue. It's not always something that we take the time to look at in depth in our actual print copies, but this time we decided we were going to give it a little extra attention. Mark, I know there's some like really good pieces in there, and one of them in particular you found moving and well, challenging. Yeah, I've maybe have quoted or mentioned Fleming Rutledge, retired Episcopal priest who has written for us. I've interviewed her. Uh, her book on crucifixion is kind of a is kind of a. It's, I think it's a classic exposition of that doctrine event. Anyway, she wrote a piece for us on Advent, especially looking at Jesus as judge and John the Baptist as the fierce preacher he was. And uh, there's one quote from her that I just thought I would tantalize readers with because she has a way of doing that. In the most extraordinary way, John is truly our contemporary. He stands at the very precipice of the collision of two forces, at the juncture where the world's resistance to God meets the irresistible force of the one who is coming. So wow. she does a great job of just talking about uh, some of the hard edges of, the, of Christ's coming and John the Baptist's preaching, but in a way that communicates not just the the fierceness of God, but also the grace and mercy of God. It sounds like something that's probably really helpful for people who just feel like, I've read the Christmas story Christmas so story. About many a cute times. cute baby and a manger and angels. Blah, blah, yeah, blah. yeah, yeah. So this will give you a, a fresh perspective on it. All right, guys. So order CT if you're tired of reading sweet, syrupy Christmas stories. <laughs> there you go. And you can do that by going to orderct.com slash quick to listen, orderct.com slash quick to listen. All right, now is the time of the show that we call Precious Moments, and it's when we ask everyone here to share something that has brought them joy very recently. Mark, please go ahead. Well, my joy was getting out the snowblower yesterday. All right, why don't you tell everyone what happened recently? So here? it snowed, oh, probably two to two feet probably, but very packed and wet snow the other night. Uh, in fact, it tore down, you know, three or four limbs from a large tree in front of our house. But I love working with good tools and I have a, I have a nice snowblower I like. But so between snowblower, shoveling, hacking away at patches of ice that had frozen underneath the snow, it took me three and a half hours to get everything cleared. But it was just the type of work I enjoy, physical with a real concrete ending. There it was, a clean Some driveway, clean sidewalk. Some people you are an editor, though. I, I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, I have a question. If, if, imagine that you grew up in California and you don't know what a snowblower is. <laughs> uh, well, I did for many years of my life. I didn't care what, what was, a snowblower okay, what was. was a, what, is, what does a snowblower do? It just grabs the snow and, and throws it out to left or right or forward, depending on where you need to and throw it. And then you still have to shovel afterwards, though? Well, it doesn't do a, the perfect job that I like. I'm one of those old men now that likes to have a perfectly clean driveway after a snowstorm, so I'm pretty fussy. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, Mark, where can people find you? I publish something called The Galley Report 
which can be found at Christianity Today slash The Galley Report, G-A-L-L-I, in which I comment on stories and link to them, and many people find it helpful. All right. Mary, do you want to go? Yes. Well, it seems I had a similar precious moment as Mark uh, here in Kansas City. My husband and I actually spent a couple of days making a big bonfire because we have a lot of brush, leftover brush. We also took down dead trees so that we can save our firewood for the winter. And of course, our, our boys were home, so we were able to do that with them and sat outside by the bonfire chatting and their friends came over. So, um, so that was just uh, really sweet, really fun to do. Isn't it nice like how fires bring people together too? Uh, yes, it is. And I I love it. It's mesmerizing. Yes, I know. You can just like stare at the fire and then sometimes you talk. Sometimes you just like look at it. Sometimes you drink some hot cider or something. Yes. And so one day we had beautiful weather sitting outside by the bonfire. The next day we probably got the same snow that Mark got. So we had a snow blizzard over here as well. All right. Mary, where can people find you outside of this show? Well, we have a website, and it is allnationsfamily.org. And we are very good about uh, returning uh, any kind of inquiries, or if you want to get hold of me there, uh, we will make sure we get back to you right away. Awesome. Okay, obviously, I have many things that could be considered precious moments from the past couple weeks, because that's ideally the hope of places like the vacation. I'm going to pick a very cliche one and say that I went to the Eiffel Tower on Saturday or Sunday, I guess. And it is actually very cool. I think I have been to places before where I go up and I like look at the view everywhere and I'm not actually that impressed. But I was actually really impressed by the Eiffel Tower. Looking at it or looking from it? Looking from it. Especially sometimes I like, I'm like, okay, cool. It's a view of a city. I don't even know. You know, you're just kind of like bored by it. But I was not bored looking at it. And the distance that I was at was just really, was, you were still, you were able to see a lot of like, just like the really charming things in Paris and not just like think of everything as like being like a speck. The downside, well, so I climbed the first two floors and then our tour guide informed us before we got up there that the summit was closed and we couldn't go to the top. But that was not true because when we got to the top, then the summit was open, but they'd already given us the ticket that didn't let us have summit access. So that is my not part, not precious part of the moment. And I'm still mad about that because now if I want to go back, I have to pay for the whole thing again, even though I was right there. Really irritating. That's a first world problem. Okay, Mark. <laughs> it's a very first world. On vacation, well, I didn't get to do this well, one tiny thing that I really... I went to visit St. Uh, Paul's Cathedral in... Uh... In London when we were there, and we got there 15 minutes after it closed. Okay, that really was just so frustrating. That's like vacation life, you know? You're like, oh, I couldn't have helped it because I, like, just got lost. Or, like, you don't know the time, things, whatever, times that things close at. But the, overall, the structure was very impressive and also extremely beautiful. And Paris is not overrated. If you're thinking of going, I'm imploring you to go. All right, people can find me on Twitter. I'm at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. That is it for us this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Quick to Listen. You can find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We are there. 
Our music is by Sweeps. This podcast is produced by myself, Richard Clark, and Cray Allred. Thank you to everyone who supports us by subscribing to Christianity Today. Again, you can do that by going to orderct.com slash quick to listen. Also, thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed the show. It is always encouraging to see what you have to say about it, except when it's not encouraging. No, I'm sorry. I'm teasing. Most of the things you guys say are very encouraging. And as you know, Mark and I really do appreciate feedback, which you're always welcome to give us at podcast at christianitytoday.com or on Twitter at CT Podcasts. We will see you all next week.